Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Talent. I'm Nicole Fuqua. You're listening to our audio series where we dig into issues related to talent acquisition. Today's podcast is part of our ongoing COVID-19 series. As organizations around the globe confront the challenges presented by the coronavirus outbreak, even the most seasoned talent leaders find themselves in uncharted territory. We're talking to our experts here at People Scout about the issues that are most pressing during this uncertain time. We are focused on the safety of our employees and clients, friends, families, and loved ones. However, it is important for many organizations to keep their talent acquisition functions moving, whether to provide essential services or to serve our communities by providing jobs. Many organizations are also now adapting to a newly virtual workforce. In that spirit, today we're sharing insights from a wide-ranging conversation with our UK team about the impact of COVID-19 on recruiting and hiring. The pandemic is impacting everything from how we conduct interviews to how candidates view recruitment marketing. In this conversation, you'll hear from Simon Wright, Managing Partner, Robert Piesnell, Deputy Managing Director of the UK, and Vanessa Hawes, Senior Employer Brand and Communications Strategist. I'll let them take it away. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do an unscripted discussion uh, with myself. I'm Simon Wright, uh, Vanessa Hawes and Robert Peasnell. It's going to be a, a fireside chat. I think before we start, it's important to recognise the pandemic continues to impact people's lives across the globe. And I hope that everyone who's joined us today is safe and healthy. Uh, unprecedented, uncertain, trying times, the new normal, all words you probably don't want to hear again uh, post uh, the pandemic. But it has no doubt disrupted the way that we work. So how do we move from here uh, to next? And what does it mean uh, now? And how do we expect the world to change in the future? What will this mean for the relationships between employers, both uh, current and potential colleagues? And what will the impact be on the ability for organisations to attack, attract and retain talent moving forward? So, so I'm, I'm Simon Wright, Managing Partner. Uh, I uh, head up our talent advisory practice, which covers... Uh, employer brand uh, assessments, our capability around uh, creative and technology, uh, and also around diversity as well. Uh, and I am delighted to be joined by my two esteemed colleagues. So we'll start with you, Ness, uh, share who you are and what you do. Uh, I'm Ness Hawes, so I'm a senior employer brand and communications strategist. Um, yeah, so professionally it's been around uh, thinking about my commute because my commute's always been something I thought was the worst part of my day and getting stuck on the central line and I always thought that uh, yeah that I hated my commute but now I've kind of got uh, sort of a newfound appreciation for it really in terms of kind of getting into that headspace before getting to work and then that kind of decompression at the end of the day as well. Um, but kind of personally, it's been around how much cheaper cider is when you buy it wholesale. Excellent. And Ro Robert, I, I can see you've got um, happy people behind you, you waving to us. So t tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and, and also what have you learned during the pandemic? Right. Uh, so hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Robert Pizzanel, and I'm sort of Deputy Managing Director uh, of the business here. Uh, I think for me, uh, the kind of, I guess, the professional takeout around uh Period we've been through is actually how much I sort of thrive on people. Uh, I wouldn't have put myself in a certain uh, extreme extrovert box. I don't think I am at all. But actually, the that kind of um, natural buzz and that energy you get off of being with people and, and looking at projects uh, is something I, I didn't uh, I didn't recognise that I probably I've probably thrived on as much. So that's a that's a big takeout for me. 
I think on a personal level, I think as your, as your world shrinks, just small things become more important. So uh, whether it's what my neighbours are doing out the window, but actually the the ritual, I think it's probably been building rituals, the ritual of a kind of, you know, a Jaffa cake at 11 in the morning or a kind of club, club orange chocolate biscuit is, is, is more important than it used to be. Yeah, definitely. I think um, lockdown has been uh, interesting for people to kind of probably find find more out about themselves and the things that they like and the things that they, they don't like and the things that we probably all take for granted. Because certainly, um, like you, uh, getting back into an office and being able to work with teams and, and collaborate is something that, that, that I've missed over the last, last 13 weeks, that kind of uh, time that you spend with people, I think post lockdown will be more special and, and more valuable um, than maybe we we took it for granted before, and it was just just accepted. I think the other thing that I've noticed also is the the speed of how technology has been adopted. So if I think about Zoom at the beginning, um, certainly you know internally with the Zoom calls, and no one would have their screen on, and and 20% have their screen on. And, and now if you've not got your screen on, there's kind of shaming of the of the non-screen presence, how quickly that's evolved. And then I was on a, a conference call um, a couple of weeks ago. I was having technical issues with my laptop. So I, I dialed in and everybody else was on Zoom. And it was really surreal because I couldn't see people's faces. I couldn't see their reactions and emotions uh, as we we're going through. So almost what was advanced technology 13 weeks ago is uh, a relic of the um, of the dark ages now. So uh, it, it's amazing how quickly things have been adopted and kind of become customer practice over the last 13 weeks. So we're gonna dive into our, our first kind of topic area. Uh, and I guess it's um, relevant because this week, uh, there's the latest data around the kind of uh, jobs and, and un unemployment data. So uh, reports that 600,000 uh, roles have, have, have disappeared from, from the payroll over the last, um, last quarter uh, and uh, job vacancies at their kind of lowest level um, for, uh, for a long time. So um, thinking about the, the jobs market, what, what have the kind of key observations been um, starting with you, Robert, I guess, in terms of what, what you're seeing around the jobs market at the moment? Uh, I think I think for me it's the sense that uh, it's very easy to generalise, and, and I think that the jobs market absolutely isn't homogenous. So we are seeing absolutely, absolutely certain industries, so name in you know, hospitality, retail, where um, they have been somewhat decimated by this, and, and we're not seeing really shoots coming back. You know, um, whilst there's a clearly a relaxing of the restrictions, uh, you know, we you know, I'm talking to a number of kind of leading. Uh, organizations within those sectors and uh, they anticipate that a lot of their recruitment over the you know, short to medium term is going to be absorbing people out there that are have been displaced um, but I think you need, to you need to contrast that with areas where there is really high need so anything around logistics obviously um, care social care etc um, we're seeing yeah, unprecedented demand for talent um, so I think that there, there are, it is that reflection, the fact that it isn't a homogenous market. And even if you look at it from a regional point of view, certainly some of the data we've seen uh, shows that other areas, some areas have been harder hit than others. Yeah, I was I was really surprised at, at the kind of early stages of, of the pandemic and lockdown uh, with some of the data where digital roles uh, were one of the sharpest declines in terms of 
vacancies being advertised, it, it kind of stood out for me as as a real surprise because I couldn't quite understand, um, you know, why that would be affected, maybe more than other um, other sectors and, and other roles. But I guess interestingly, you know, looking at what's happened over over the last thirteen weeks, you know, the way that um, lockdown has changed our our behaviour, and I mentioned the technology piece before. You know, the idea of, of ringing into a call centre, um, you know, didn't appeal before, but it appeals even even less now. You know, walk into the to the bank to to do something when I can can do it online. So, uh, you know, you, there's certainly I think going to be a shift in terms of maybe some of those um, roles that were in you know customer facing roles that have been digitised, or the the digitisation has been accelerated because consumer behaviour has changed over the last. 13 weeks and I saw one of the big energy firms had, had made quite a um, significant headcount reduction because the adoption of digital had accelerated more in the last 13 weeks than it had in the kind of previous five years so I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with digital roles um, mm. you know as, as we start to come out and the easing and, and things start to return to some form of normality whether that will become um, as competitive as it was pre uh, pre-lockdown. Do you, do you think there's a need to almost get deeper into sort of uh, segmenting some of those sectors? Even if you take digital, I'm sure there'll be areas, as you just said, where that's that's the relentless direction of travel and they just need more digital people. Whereas it might be if you're working for, I don't know, near the travel aggregators, they probably are shedding staff. So even within digital, it isn't consistent across the whole piece. Yeah, and I also think that there's sort of a bit of time before you need the digital people as well. Because if you've got sort of retail organisations, uh, sort of FMCG companies, where they're missing out on that kind of on-trade demand and sales, then there needs to be a whole period of time when you work out, well, how do we have an e-commerce offering? What might that look like? And sort of mapping all of that out before you even know what skills that you might need. So for me, that feels like it's something... Uh, sort of even further down the line Uh, and sort of a couple of organizations that I've spoken to you know that demand planning bit is the big issue because they just don't they don't know what the future looks like none of us know when different restrictions might be lifted Uh, so that kind of period of uncertainty perhaps means that need to be looking at things uh, sort of about agility and learning agility and that kind of stuff rather than saying this is going to be our proposition these are the skills that we need it's more about what kinds of people might we need and I suppose that just takes a bit longer to to figure out I suppose. Yeah no I I think it is going to be interesting isn't it in terms of uh, what skills do organisations need in the future because there's probably um, been a series of phases of almost you know the the security of the organization and making sure that everyone's safe and making sure that almost the business can continue to operate and the important things like cash flow and uh profit and loss and then actually how do you emerge from from this to be a a better um, more successful business as well and and what will that mean in terms of where the focus is you know does the Mm -hmm. focus does the focus shift does the strategy shift for organizations and and maybe where they they weren't seen as organizations attracting tech or digital talent before all of a sudden you know six weeks down the line tech is a big priority for them and they're just not seen within that that talent pool as a uh, as a place to work 
And um, what about the candidate side? So, um, you know, with with the levels of, of unemployment or people that are furloughed as well, mm. um, I saw at the BBC website there was a story about a, a HR manager in Essex who'd applied for, for 100 jobs. Uh, what's the data saying in terms of um, kind of application volumes at the moment and candidate availability? Robert, have you seen anything around that? Yeah, a couple of clients who are more in the kind of the volume recruitment space and particularly those that are recruiting people that don't need prior experience is more about behaviours and attributes. Um, early indicators to kind of campaigns launching in kind of May, June are that they're getting really, really kind of high levels of applications and, and they're kind of closing early. So I think the, there's a fundamental shift for them away from attraction um, at, at a generic level to attracting certain maybe underrepresented groups, but also how do they manage that candidate experience um, and not move into the volume rejection business? Yeah, and it's suppose it changes the whole... Stealing your line, by the way, Simon. Take it, take it. It's not trademarked, have it. I suppose it uh, sort of changes the whole dynamic, really, doesn't it? When sort of previously recruiters had to always fit around a candidate schedule. So kind of conversations and interviews either very early in the morning or late at night after work. And now people are more kind of open to have those conversations uh, as well. So might be a bit of a shift uh, away from the kind of lots of cold LinkedIn in-mails and perhaps more sort of conversations, more time for people to speak uh, either on, on the phone or through video and kind of for people to have that, um, I suppose, kind of, kind of recruiters and candidates to kind of have real conversations rather than it being either the last thing, the last thing of the day or the first thing in the morning where perhaps you're not, you're not sort of ready to have that conversation. Yeah, yeah. I... I one of the um, big professional services firms are seeing this as an opportunity to really pipeline some future talent. So looking at potential directors and partners for the future, where, echoing your point, Ness, people have been quite hard to get hold of. Um, a lot of those people are obviously home-based and they are having yeah, really meaningful conversations, not about recruitment necessarily, but about getting those people to engage with them more, perhaps join some kind of loose talent community. So I think they're seeing it as a real opportunity for now. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because um, we did a snapshot survey. So um, we, we reached out to uh, candidates um, and we also reached out to employers to kind of get their view as a bit of a, a pulse check on the, uh, on the jobs market at the moment. And I think one of the things that we experienced in 2008 was mm -hmm. Uh, this kind of fear of people moving so uh, people kind of stayed where they were in terms of their their employer um, whilst they were disengaged and demotivated because they were fearful of of leaving and then you know um, not being able to stay in the job because you know the, the kind of uh, view around um, first in last out or last in first out should i say this is why today's unscripted um because we'll get we'll get the things in the right order um but I think it's interesting looking at the data from, from the Pulse survey that actually that doesn't appear to be the case now, that candidates don't seem to have the same level of fear of, of moving jobs. So, you know, people's view of, you know, do they plan to change jobs in the next six months? Uh, you know, what was their view pre-COVID and what, what's their view now? has only marginally changed um, from what it was. So it's slightly down, which you would expect, but it's not, it's not a significant shift. 
Um, but also, I think what candidates said is, you know, they understand that actually it's going to be harder to, to find a job. So, you know, their ability to kind of stand out um, amongst other candidates and employers are uh, very clear that actually, you know, they're going to find it easier. So it's going to be you know, much easier for them to, to recruit people. I think that leads back to the challenge that you raised, Robert, around the kind of uh, being in the rejection business. And if you're in the rejection business, how do you, A, kind of um, provide a great candidate experience to the 99% of people that, that you do reject? And does candidate experience become even more important? Because particularly in the circumstances, do employers need to um, do a better job of, of supporting people and, and communicating better about the why not if they're unsuccessful? Mm. And in that volume uh, business where you're getting hundreds and hundreds of applications, how do you have more intelligent uh, screening and, and better recruitment processes to make sure that you do recruit the very best people and that you engage with those because it's easy to be easy to lose them in amongst um you know the the volumes of, of candidates that are applying yeah well, i suppose it kind of comes down to both the employer and the candidate knowing that they're making the right decision and if you think about why people might not want to move jobs right now I expect it's got something to do with the fact that you might end up on a three month six month probation period when you spend that time thinking is there going to be a change in situation like the pandemic where I might be first one in last one out or you know you don't have those same employment rights within that probation period so perhaps there'll be a shift towards looking at well how do we make sure that we don't offer or accept jobs that we're not really sure we know what we're getting into so more of a focus perhaps on that candidate experience to make sure that that candidate's really brought in and that they're the, they're the right person and that the employer is really looking at the right things when they're making those decisions. So really looking at how that person will fit into an organisation that they have the right behaviours rather than whether they just have the right skills, but that it's not going to be the right fit once they get there. Yeah, and it's interesting. So in the in the poll survey, uh, eight out of ten employers said that they expected the the makeup of their workforce to look different in twenty twenty one. And and I guess um, Robert, you made a, a good point in the green room before we before we started around you know this idea that fifty percent of the uh, workforce is at, at home or fifty percent of the workforce isn't. But as uh, as that kind of changes and, and maybe, you know, those people that were in offices, office environments do continue to work from home, actually, you know, the, the behaviours that are required to be productive and perform at, at your best might be different. And I wonder whether that means that organisations will need to think differently about how they assess uh, people joining the organisation and maybe test things like resilience and, and that ability to work remotely. Um, to be for people to kind of perform well and and be productive as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's absolutely the case. And I think that'll be that's quite subtle, but and not a lot of employers are talking about that at the moment. You know, what what uh, mindset and uh, skill set does it require to be a really effective home worker as opposed to somebody uh, who may who may want to thrive in a more kind of collegiate office environment and I think it also tracks into brand and the value proposition doesn't it as well really in terms of um, is what organisations are offering still valid um, and how much should or, or has it changed yeah definitely yeah and sort of thinking about kind of our working pr sort of principles as a business you know one of those is around 
curiosity and as employer brand professionals you know being curious and being nosy is such an important part of what we do and how we develop solutions for clients and I think I've kind of always uh, sort of underestimated that value of overhearing conversations in the office and seeing what other people are you know getting up to seeing something on someone's screen and asking them to explain what they're doing or if you can tag along to a presentation or a meeting to kind of hear some brainstorming or ideas but I think it's almost like <laughs> learning through osmosis isn't it really yeah. as opposed to very structured formal learning you know I think it's interesting when you ask people what they miss uh, and I think if you look at the the profile of different people because again there's lots of uh, commentary around the fact that people are you know everyone wants to be home working if you read the headlines yeah no one wants to go back in, into work whereas we're seeing, I think, uh, within our organisation, but also talking to lots of clients, that certainly that younger audience for whom, you know, work is uh, about their social life and, you know, it's about the non-task-based stuff there, just the environment, you know, the water cooler moments, they're going to the pub after work. That's really important. And I think particularly if that's contrasted with, you know, living with mum and dad and working on your laptop in a bedroom, um, you know, that's, that's the, the age group uh, loosely bracketing them, but are seem to be driving most to most urgently to get back into the office. Yeah, and it, it's I mean, uh, I, I kind of joke about this in terms of I'm, I'm made for lockdown in terms of um, you know being a, an indoor indoor person. Um, but actually, you know, one of the the big bits uh, as a as a graduate or uh, as a, a kind of younger person is that that social element of you know going to the going to the pub or um you know being out out with a group of friends um and that that's kind of missing from that dynamic at the moment isn't it, it makes it makes it much harder and i think that will be interesting when you think about um things like graduate programs so you know for those people that are due to join in september you know one of the appeals of joining a, a program rather than just joining a kind of business as usual role is actually that you are with a group a cohort of other people mm. who are in a similar position it's kind of that a next natural step out of a university if people have gone down that kind of traditional route of you know university into a, a graduate program so to then be remote um, and not have that kind of social interaction and have to orientate into an organization I think is going to be really really interesting challenge. Do you think that onboarding will be because at the moment it can be quite a prosaic functional process um, and all of the kind of the glitter and the um emotional connections are formed you know pre-apply and then during the application process i guess it's going to become much more vital because you're joining uh, an organization but really it's, it'll be quite hard to touch the culture yeah i mean it, it's it, there's kind of i think there's probably two there's the bit up to the point of joining and then there's how do you create a dynamic for that uh, cohort to interact socially and, and share their experiences and be able to kind of make sure that those kind of check-ins that, that you're in the right place at the right time because as you say onboarding very much is the functional steps of ordering the laptop or uh, making sure you've got the um, you know you, the desk sorted out and, and the access rather than actually more of that emotional stuff which connects you to the team you're going to be in and to the organization and to understand what the development interventions are going to look like and when you're going to have those kind of check-ins I think that that's going to be when you're virtual I think that's going to be um, certainly more challenging for people. It's interesting though because I, I, I did think when we moved to the home working um, that you know 
there'd be a really real difference in uh the kind of knowing about my colleagues knowing what people are up to and I've actually been really surprised and feel like I know a lot more of my colleagues uh, a lot better, you know, because you've seen partners and children and pets and what people have got behind them in their work environment. And I feel well, like often, when, often when they don't want you to see those things. Oh, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it's a bit more entertaining that way. Um, but kind of like the, the sort of fourth walls kind of um, mm. been passed in the sense that we know a lot more about uh, what our colleagues are like as people outside the work environment and I think in businesses like ours where we've got um sort of two large offices in different locations um there was perhaps a feeling that you know um you know two two different offices two different places and you know the people in your office a lot better than you know the people in a different office and now I feel as though I know people in that office so much better than I would have done otherwise because we're all in the no office we're all kind of we're all in the uh, in the same place in a way and I think that's a really nice uh, a nice element of it and something that I hope will kind of continue in the future yeah I, I think it's uh, it's been a leveler hasn't it so because mm. uh, everyone's in in the same position everyone's been in the same situation and I think that authenticity of kind of leadership has has been um really kind of shone through you know you can see that in terms of the um you know the examples of it and I think also what what it means is that those you know when you think about culture where actually you know for our, in our example two different offices would have two slightly different cultures mm. um actually over 13 weeks that that kind of um merges together very very quickly because the identity is not to a, an office anymore the identity is to something something bigger and and kind of um to that belonging so with that in mind, what do you think that means from a, um, a kind of engaging talent moving forward? What, what do you think the kind of key challenges will be from, a, uh, you know, thinking about brand and thinking about how, how organisations need to engage talent? What, what, what will be different in the future? I think there's, there's a couple of different elements. Um, so I think one bit, it's that word authenticity that everyone's been saying, half gone about. Um, but I think... Uh, you know, it's meant that um, people's expectations around content creation is now refreshingly low. So the kind of user-generated content and things, everyone's everyone's doing it and people seem to be doing it really, really well. So I think there's going to be a lot of organisations that are using kind of a lot of uh, stock imagery or uh, dated imagery of, uh, you know, lots of people in groups in the office and things are going to have to think about uh, refreshing that and making sure that they are kind of showing the reality of their business today um, rather than showing what their business was like you know last year a few years ago Uh, and I think in the same vein with uh, the values and employer brand you know a lot of organizations are going to be caught out if they're saying one thing and and doing doing the other and I think that that's kind of um, you know a similarity between coronavirus um between the pandemic and also the black lives matter movement as well uh so if an organization is is publicizing these values they put their name to and they put on all their collateral you know how is that actually playing out in the things that they say but more importantly uh in the things that they do as well so i think from a kind of branding perspective um from a kind of consumer brand and an employer brand perspective it's about either well, you know, 
sort of having that really hard look at yourself and thinking, well, something either needs to change and we need to do that quite quickly uh, or we need to look at uh, look at the words that we're putting out there and, and see if they need to change. And I think it's okay to say we're not there yet, um, but I think organisations will, will do well to, you know, look at themselves really honestly yeah. and communicate that to, to the candidates that they're speaking to. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I can feel that. I mean, what, what really stood out to me at the earliest stages of all this was where, when you looked at TV commercials and there's this real jarring of those that were sort of, as you say, it's kind of legacy world, um, everyone will round a photocopy or something, or just, you know, being very busy in a kind of sporting venue. And it just felt that that wasn't real. And those that were more nimble and a bit more anchored in the challenges of now Mm. for me for me had had much more kind of resonance uh, and I guess the, the other bit is around kind of communication and w- again what's been interesting is because this there isn't a playbook it's pretty much uncharted territory it's how organizations have managed communication and that level of honesty in terms of this is where we are now disclosing as much as they can um, clearly giving people um a sense of direction and what they're planning because people are looking to leadership for that level of reassurance, but being honest about where they are and, and because it's been moving so quickly and, and they don't want to get wrong footed. Um, and I think it's about how do you build that into your your value proposition or, or certainly reflect on your value proposition and say, um, is the offer now uh, fit for purpose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, there was a uh, a quote from Michelle Obama, uh, being president doesn't change who you are, it reveals who you are. And I think over the last 13 weeks, there have been examples of organisations where their, their kind of true purpose, not their marketing purpose, has kind of um, shone through. You know, there's the, there's the example of Airbnb, which, you know, you mentioned it before, uh, Robert, in terms of the uh, travel industry has been been massively hit but for the way that Airbnb have dealt with the issue of having to you know let colleagues go you know they reorientated all their uh, recruiters that you know the, the purpose of the recruiters were to find those people that have been displaced jobs in other organizations you know they set up an alumni portal uh, for people that were leaving so that other organizations could go and you know, take their best talent that have been been displaced. So, you know, an example of actually really living true to to, to what they stand for as an organisation and not not a kind of marketing gimmick. And then there are the kind of well publicised uh, examples in in the UK of, of brands that have have just handled um, you know the situation terribly and and, and probably those uh, true colours um, have kind of shone through. You know, this idea that. Uh, probably true character under pressure is is what what uh, comes to the surface, and I think probably people won't forget that. I think uh, you know we're in because of the microcosm that we've been in. I think it puts it more into the spotlight for for organisations to uh, to really think about their their value proposition. And back to what we talked about earlier, you know, think about what do they what do they need in the future. So. What's that coherent story um, that's really relevant to to the audiences? So uh, now's not probably the time for organisations to um, share all of the good things that they've been doing during during COVID, but there will be a there will be a time when those things um, you know, will need to see to surface because 
uh, people will, will want to see that evidence. They'll want to see what you know. What did you do during the pandemic? Show us actually how did you deal with it as an organisation? Because that's going to be the sign for me as to whether you, uh, you know I should consider working for you or not. I guess from that on the point you've just said, it's almost twofold, isn't it? It's kind of what did you do internally with your people to be respectful and structures, but also what did you do from an ex- from an external perspective? Because um, you know, lots of the data says that people want to work for organisations with you know uh, a sense a clear sense of purpose and uh, maybe not philanthropic, but something that is very much anchored in the kind of community. You know, lots of organisations have retooled themselves and uh, you know contributed towards the um uh, the fight against covid and and uh, it'll be interesting to say whether they retain that that's that sense of kind of civic community focus or whether they go back to kind of shareholder value and, and a different set of objectives yeah i mean i'd like to hope that people do keep doing doing these things for the right reasons but i do feel as though we've now got this kind of perfect exam question when it comes to how uh, a business works and operates and from an employee branding perspective it's been me kind of um it's what you've called it before simon the employee blanding when everything just sounds the same and people have got their same you know it's around scale and complexity and challenge and the people and we all trust each other um so now we've got this really uh interesting and unique opportunity for people to evidence it and from a candidate perspective you've actually got that level playing field for the first time where you can actually say I've got a really clear benchmark to hold everyone to was this organization better or worse in the way that it treated its customers or uh, its uh, colleagues and employees you know was it better or worse than this company Uh, so I think it'd be quite interesting to see how that plays out whether that's a more a uh, subtle thing or whether it's quite a blatant thing that companies will talk about from, a, from an employee value proposition going forwards. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think, you know, we, when we talked about it earlier in terms of the, the jobs market, I think there's, a, there's almost a false dawn in there, isn't there, for, for employers to think about, which is, you know, it's going to be easier to recruit because we've talked about the state of the jobs market. In the short term, it'll be easier to recruit. But actually, what what do organisations need to think about now to strategically plan out their employer brand journey and their story to make sure that they build a reputation with the with the right audiences, that they connect in the right way, and kind of build that uh, build that narrative to to engage? Because it won't be um, it won't be forever. And you know, as, as Robert said, it's not homogenous in the sense of that that talent market. So to kind of rest on your laurels and go, well, you know, there's going to be loads of candidates available. We don't need to do anything with our employer brand. Mm. Uh, potentially uh, could be a risk in terms of actually, um, you know, if candidates can't see that clear evidence, um, that's going to become, um, you know, more of a challenge. Yeah, and I think we also need to look at being uh, even more targeted around different personas and different motivations. Because I think we've had this period of reflection where everyone's, uh learn a lot more about themselves learn more about why they work whether that's uh kind of for some people it's part of their identity going to work for others it's having that that it's really important to have that distinction between home life and work life and you might be two completely different people and you need that uh equally there'll be people that have been craving this for a really long time and this is the answer to a lot of their kind of bigger life questions of how work fits in um so i think 
there's going to be a period of time when candidates have got different priorities and it might be that once life gets a bit more interesting outside again those priorities kind of go back to normal a bit um but yeah when we're doing that attraction bit it's really helping candidates understand uh how a job today can line up with their new sort of value system I suppose yeah and what do you think uh, post-covid um will matter most to candidates what what do you think is going to be important for people in the in the future do you think it do you think it's changed um well I keep seeing all of these headlines I think it's really fashionable to say you know the office is dead and we should get rid of all of our offices and things but I think it ultimately ultimately really needs to come down to choice um, so as I said, people work for, go to work for different reasons, but also different jobs require uh, more or less face-to-face interaction. I mean, with our, in, a, in the sort of client service industry that we work in, the creative industry as well, you kind of uh, need that collaboration. You need that um, fun in order to be vulnerable and come up with new ideas and stuff so I think there's going to be more of a look towards how do we use these spaces uh, and how do we use these spaces to do better work and to create better working environments Uh, so I think it will be around choice rather than going uh, one way or the other. Yeah I agree I mean I think for me there's, there's a few obvious pointers I think the uh, I think there, there have been a number of employers who have been cynical about home working and have maybe blocked home working. And I think the clear recognition that they can have lots of their people working at home and they can do a great job um, as well and truly landed. So, yes, there'll probably be more of a blended or flexible model where possible. I think the tech will be here to stay. As we've said, you know, we spend a lot of money on business travel. I'm not sure we'll be doing as much business travel because actually you realise that uh, video conferencing works really, really well. So I could see that go, staying with us. And I'll be really interested to see how much it stays within the recruitment process. So at the moment, you know, lots of employers, the necessity of having to do you know video interviews, um, you know, video assessment centres, virtual open days. Um, but actually, will that prove to be a more efficient mechanism to uh, deliver their brand in front of candidates or indeed manage part of that process it's it's uh, i think it's being more thoughtful about when they want face-to-face interactions and what they get from that mm. yeah and i guess sorry go on Ness. i was just going to say i think it's um even things like the commute's going to change you know, the news that there's going to be big investment in cycle networks and things in london for example and if more and more people are going to want to be running or cycling to work now that everyone's got super fit over the last 13 13 weeks or so you know um offices and business spaces need to accommodate that that's not something that can just happen overnight so it's just going to be uh yeah lots of lots of things that will actually need to change to accommodate how people want to work in the future yeah and i guess uh you know there are there will be people as well that will say you know it's given them time over the last 13 weeks to reflect and post the other side kind of go screw it you know when this is all over i'm out of here i'm going to go and sell my um coffee van on a beach serving uh, cappuccinos and, and waffles and pancakes uh, that, that's one of my puzzle sense. posts <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah that was one of my puzzle posts last year about uh, the world's best jobs um 
but yeah, there'll be people that decide that they want to go off and, and do something completely different. And there are people that probably right here, right now are just, you know, I, I need to pay the mortgage. It, it's all about, um, you know, the, um, the start of Maslow's hierarchy of needs around safety and security. And, and, you know, that that's going to be a kind of primary, primary concern for people. I guess picking up on the technology point, Robert, I think it, it is, you're absolutely right. I think it's a really interesting one around how do you use technology to create a human experience? So, you know, technology going into the process to uh, remove the kind of friction uh, to, to streamline it. I think people have seen technology as being a good thing or a or a bad thing, and by using technology, you remove that that human element. But actually, how can you use technology to to kind of humanize the humanize the experience? And I think that will be really um, you know one of the things in that candidate experience. If you've got you know people applying for multiple jobs and they are going to be in that rejection game, how can it have that? Um, human human touch to it without necessarily it requiring a human to to conduct the uh, the activity so you know will there be a rise in more chatbots being used will there be more things like automated feedback to make people feel as if they've been valued through through the process you know will there be the opportunities to engage in more um, career chats that uh, pro- provide support or content that allows people to understand how they can kind of you know develop moving forward as well. So I think you know when when organisations are thinking around their their recruitment process, uh, sometimes technology is seen as a um, you know a, a, a difficult one, a difficult nut to crack, or it, it, it's for big transformation. I wonder whether there's more kind of drop-ins to a more tactical kind of interventions that can just enhance the overall experience as well. So it's just started raining, so that that tells me that it's time to bring uh, today's conversation uh, to a close. Um, Just before we go, I guess just to kind of pull together some of the threads, some of the the themes that we've talked about, um, what would be your kind of key takeaways around what organisations should be doing now to prepare for the future? Uh, Ness, starting with you. Yeah, so I think um, first key one for me is around uh, mindsets and recruiting for mindset, perhaps uh, more so than we have done before uh, in a time of uncertainty when we don't know what's, none of us knows what's going to happen. So, you know, you're kind of uh, putting all your eggs in one basket, hiring for for just specific skill sets and actually hiring for for mindset, I think is um, sensible in the long run. Uh, And then the other one is around Uh, taking that real hard look at uh, your employer brand and your values and making sure that you can actually evidence uh, the things that you're going to market with. Um, Robert? Yeah, I guess uh, probably a couple of thoughts for me. One is that, um, I can't remember, I forgot forgot what I'm saying there. Try again. Right. um, Yeah, I think probably uh, a couple couple of thoughts for me. One is around, you know, we've been through this... um, uh, you know, once once in a lifetime type uh, moment and I think it's organizations that really you know, ha- have learned a lot through it so I think in all of their kind of communications and how they portray themselves to the outside marketplace I think they need to tell the stories about what have they done how have they evolved as opposed to just um, ignoring it uh, that it's happened uh, as, as a kind of major incident I think the second for me is recognizing that we are 
going to get deluged uh, most likely with lots and lots of applicants uh, and no one likes being rejected. I think it is about remodeling and, and reworking the recruitment processes to build in more self-selection. So whether that's uh, situational judgment tests, realistic job previews, elements into the recruitment process that allow people to self-select themselves out as opposed to um, being rejected themselves. Uh, they live with their honor intact and probably a, an enhanced picture of, of you as an organization. Thanks, Robert. Yeah, I think um, there's definitely um, some things for organisations to think about in terms of, um, you know, the candidate experience and how they're going to deliver a great candidate experience, particularly if the uh, candidate numbers increase and both uh, using the kind of sifting tools to support, but also the technology interventions to kind of humanise the, the experience. So how can you plug into your tech stack things that can kind of bring that, that to life more? And I think also then um, from, through an EVP lens, really reflecting on is the EVP fit for the future? So where's the organisation going? What types of people does the organisation need to be successful? What, what's it going to offer in return? So that there's that kind of narrative there. Because if in, in a post-COVID world, and I think the stat from our Pulse survey was um, 90% of organisations don't expect to go back to the way things were beforehand, then you know does does the EVP reflect uh, 13 weeks ago or does the EVP reflect where where the organization is going in the future so kind of just taking a look at it and, and seeing is it is it timely is is it relevant and, and is it kind of forward facing as to, to where you want to go uh, in the future that's the perfect place for us to wrap up thanks for listening if you have any questions that we didn't cover today you can send them our way you can email us at marketing at peoplescout.com or you can find us on social media just search people scout on facebook twitter linkedin and instagram to make sure you don't miss an episode or to hear more of our coronavirus series visit our website and click on our coronavirus resource center we will continue to publish new resources to help you in any way that we can you can also subscribe to our feed on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts talking talent is a people scout production music by sound design through shutterstock